Yes, perfect. Uh, hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Dave Griffith, and with my co-host here, Vladimir Romanov, we are Manufacturing Hub. We are currently running our eighth episode with our exceptionally special guest, Jim Gavigan from Industrial Insight. As you can see, Jim and I have nearly matching hats. Um yeah, Jim and I have nearly matching hats, and uh, we're very excited to uh, have Jim on here. I will probably make note that Jim is one of the most humble people that I know in this ecosystem, and so he's probably I'm probably going to say something, um, and he's probably going to try to walk it back once or twice uh, during the show. But no, uh, welcome to the show, Jim. We're, we're extremely happy to have you. Appreciate you guys having me. No, no. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, uh, Jim, as I mentioned, so you currently uh, run a now four-person company called Industrial Insight, mm -hmm. and you guys are manufacturing intelligence specialists. You guys are, are a niche service provider uh, for that. And you have your title. Your title is one of my favorite titles um, ever. You are the chief time series data storyteller. Did I get that correct? You did. You got it. Perfect. Yep. Awesome. Can you tell us how you how you came up with that? Oh, gosh, I don't know. It's probably one of those moments on LinkedIn where I was looking down and I don't know, I saw something creative and it sparked sparked that in me. And I said, you know, I mean, that's kind of what we are is we we tell stories with data and we work with time series data, you know, and I run the company. So I'm the chief. There you go. Chief time series data storyteller, you know, and just kind of worked, you know, and, and uh, a lot of people get a kick out of it. You know, it's, it's same like when I, it's funny when I um, email somebody from my cell phone, it says, please excuse the brevity and the yit pose, you know, so I do a typo right there at the end. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, I just have to play on it and just see where it goes, you know. I mean, it's pretty interesting. It seems intriguing enough to, you know, someone to want to ask you, like, what exactly do what you does do that with mean? data? Like, what's, yeah. yeah, what do you, like, can you tell us a little more about uh, what you, your company does? So we, uh, yeah, get a better so, idea. yeah, so we work, you know, primarily with time series data systems. I mean, the the biggest one out there, obviously, is OSI Sauce Pi, which is now actually owned by Aviva mm -hmm. um, that just finalized in the last, what, couple of weeks, probably. Um, you know, that's the bulk of our work today. Um, you know, but really we're time series data experts and, you know, that happens to be the king, you know, in, in that space to, you know, today it has been for a long time. And I used to work at OSI soft and knew a lot of customers that, you know, needed help really making sense of their data. I mean, I, I'll never forget, um, you know, my good friend, Sean Reed at, at uh, International Paper at Rome, Georgia, he, I never forget one, one thing he said to me one day when I, and this is when I was at OSI Soft. He said, uh, Jim, I got 20 years worth of data. I don't know what it's telling me, you know, because he had a major problem in a particular area of the mill. And he's like, I got all kinds of data. I don't, I don't know how to decipher it and, and make sense of it and do something about it. And um, I think that's really what we do is we, we take all this time series data that people are collecting out of their control systems and we help them make sense out of it and do it proactively instead of just, oh, something broke. Let's go look in Pi and see what happened. You know, we try to get it to where people are driving their business by that. So. I'm curious about the approach. So when you have a customer, and I think there's a lot of people that probably identify as such where they are collecting data, right? So they have a systems integrator that plants in a PLC system that writes to the SQL database and it is collecting whatever they've put in. What would be your first step 
you know, and obviously subsequent steps or recommendations to these yeah. people. Well, I mean, the first thing, SQL is not a time series database. Let's just get right. that straight, right? It's going to bloat. I mean, at some point it's going to bloat on you, right? Because there's no compression. There's no, there's no way to, there's no way to ensure that what you're putting in there isn't going to be junk. And, you know, realistically, that's kind of the same way. Well, there's actually ways to do it in, in, in some systems, but most people don't take those steps, but you know, the first thing is, is you don't just go throw it in a SQL database and hope you're going to get any kind of performance out of it. You know, that's, that's a number one, you know, a time series database is built specifically for retrieving data, um, you know, at, at maybe not even the same interval, you know, and SQL is great at row column. Everything's kind of on a level playing field. It's not going to handle multiple timestamps, you know, well, so time series databases are built to handle, you know, things that are not exactly at the same timestamp, you know, going in and it's not all in one row, um, you know, and the time series databases, you know, the historians, as we've always called them, you know, have some means to compress out either if you're getting the exact same data or if it's just instrument noise, they have a way to either ignore it or compress it out. Don't store it at all. There, you know, there's several different companies that handle it different and they have different opinions on it. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's neither here nor there. I mean, there's, there's, there's good ways to handle it, but SQL does not handle it. Could so. you still utilize any of that information? And obviously there's no, you know, one size fits all answer. You'd probably have to look at it, but could you still recover some of that data and make it usable to the customer or you'd, probably recommend starting something different uh no you could probably make use of it i know like like some of the things we've done in the past like especially with pi they have a, what's called a ufl interface universal file loader so it's designed to take a flat file and you know bring data in so you know a lot of times i mean i've I pulled data in from a spreadsheet i was doing a simulation application one time and you know a customer gave me some data they were generous enough to give me some data you know, we just pulled it out with, with uh, Pi data link. It was just their Excel add-in, you know, pulled out the data um, and we just did it, you know, at a specific time, you know, cause that was just the easiest thing for us to do. And I actually pulled it into our test database, you know, in that UFL, it said, you know, okay, you know, column one is the tag name, column two is the timestamp, column three is the, you know, is the actual value. Um, so you can always configure that you know, to, to do that. So you can, you can usually make sense of it, you know, if you can get it, the raw files, you know, so you can, I mean, you can always use it. Gotcha. So. But going forward, I guess you'd probably recommend a different database, but also um, I guess a different approach to how they gather data, because mm -hmm. you, you'd probably have to assess um, obviously how, like which points they're gathering, what makes sense to them and go through an entire, um, I guess, like, what's your experience on figuring out the right data that's being sent to your database? <clears throat> so almost always your, you know, your first iterations, you're going to collect way too much or not nearly enough. Hmm. I mean, that's just what happens to people. Um, and you can always build or, or scale back. Right. And, and a lot of it depends on kind of the price tag, you know, like um, a lot of the historian systems have traditionally been priced by tag. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, by how many data points you're going to collect and store. Right. Um, sometimes that drives some of the decision making. So then, you know, sometimes you may err on the side of too little, you know, but certainly you get with your subject matter experts over what is the critical machine or process data that you ought to collect. And then it's going to grow and evolve over time because sometimes you're going to be looking at a problem. You're going to say, gosh, I really wish I had this data as well. So then you start collecting. I mean, obviously you can't, you can't go get data from the past, but you know, you can at least get it going forward. So we, uh, we typically try to get people there on the side of collecting a little too much data, you know, and even when we're doing any, and we'll talk about this a little later, but you know, when we're doing some of our data fidelity work and data fidelity studies, we, we will always tell the customer to err on collecting a little too much data than not enough because right. you can always clean it. You can't put more in it because you don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, you have, you have to get with your subject matter experts, know what's critical to the machine or process, start there. You're probably going to be wrong to a certain degree and you can always iterate. That's my opinion. Yeah, makes sense. We got a question from uh, No Man on LinkedIn. He's asking, uh, I'm curious to know if Jim has been asked to import data from physical media, such as CDs or paper into Pi. Are there firms out there that specialize in digitization of such data into flat files, as Jim uh, mentioned, and that would then be utilized by a Pi admin to bring it into Pi? I haven't heard of something like that. You know, the, the challenge is just getting it from paper to digital. You know, I mean, if that's not really my space, but I would think there's got to be a way to to get that with optical character recognition. We've had that for years. I mean, I would think you could at least get it into like CSV type files if it's organized decently, mm-hmm. um, you know, but uh, but yeah, I mean, then, then it's just the UFL approach. You know, if you can get it to a flat structure, you know, it's, it's, it's UFL, but I don't see why you couldn't do what he was asking for sure. The, the challenge is just getting it into a format that's readable. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I guess like maybe smaller facilities still have a lot of uh, paper collection processes in place, right? So it's definitely going to be different than your Fortune 500 companies. And so and maybe I, that data needs to be. We know what's interesting is one of one of our customers, and they continue to grow with us, is a small food ingredient handling company. They're, I mean, they're they're private. You know, there have been to some of their facilities. You, you would not think they would be running pie, but one of their directors, who's like kind of director over like engineering and, you know, projects and stuff like that. He came from Georgia Pacific and they're a big pie user. And he's like, we got to have this, we got to have the data. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't know of any of their systems that are over 500 tags and I don't think they're even using all the tags in the 500 tag systems. But what's interesting is, is one of my employees has been, she's, she's Tia, um, Tia Eberlein. She's been working with them just doing like some basic batch reporting and things like that, that they never had before. It was all on paper. And, you know, it, it took, I mean, realistically a couple of weeks to get, not, maybe not even that. Cause I, I'm trying to think. Their Minnesota site, I don't even, I think we had a PO for like a week to install the software, you know, get some of the data and asset framework, which, you know, they don't have a lot of tags and build like a basic report. And I mean, she, she did all that in like a week and she she was telling me about a meeting she had with 
one of their production supervisors or production superintendents. And he was like, I don't get impressed easy or often, but you just blew my mind. You know, this is awesome. I mean, it was just like lights went off. He was like, oh my gosh, I, I never realized that this could be automated and we could have this level of detail and this level of information. Small, small place. I mean, these places are tiny, you know? So I believe it. I believe it. You know, and so, and, and the thing is, is, you know, I mean, OSI soft is king, you know, but, you know, that comes with a price tag. There's, there's other systems that, you know, we work with, you know, that are out there that can do, you know, they can do the job, right? And so even if you're not, if you're a small manufacturer and maybe, maybe you can't afford, you know, a system that complex and like, you know, that's, that's what you, that may, may not be what you need. There are other systems out there that will deliver a lot of value. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I really believe that. And, and that, you know, that's why we, we've tried to work with some other systems that way, you know, we, we kind of recognize, you know, and I, and I don't I hope my OSI saw friends don't, you know, don't take any of this the wrong way. Cause I mean, they know how much I promote their stuff. Cause I think, you know, I think it's great. I worked there. I would have never worked there if I didn't think it was great. You know, but there are just some customers that can't or won't afford that. They, they don't right. see that kind of value in it. And they're like, I need something cheaper. I mean, I'd be glad to do it, but I can't pay that. And, and that's why we've worked with some other companies. You know, that's why, you know, we've looked at Canary and, and we've got another, um, I'm not going to reveal who they are yet, but uh, had another one approach us actually from the marketing that Dave and I've been doing. They, he, one of their salespeople said, hey, I really like what you're doing. And, you know, um, we we think we'd like you guys to help us out. And so we've been meeting with them some. So I, I, I'm really excited about that, you know, because not everybody uses Pi. No, for know? sure. I definitely understand. Dave, uh, did you want to jump in and ask a question as well? I've got many more, but. Yes, no, no. I, and I think what, what you were saying, Jim, about working with small facilities kind of brings up a good question. You know, uh, for that specific, you know, smaller food and bev manufacturer, it was someone that came in that said, hey, we really need to use this data. We need to harness the data and we can benefit from that. And I'm sure that they have benefited from that no tremendously no over doubt. paper chart recorders, as, as Vlad was saying. You know, there's a huge gap in there. When, when you're having conversations with people, are you finding that there are more and more companies who are interested in, you know, using their data or collecting and then using their data? Um, and uh, are you finding, yeah, I guess, are, are you finding more and more companies are realizing that they need to collect and use data? I think so. I mean, the, the conversations that I'm having, like I'm, I'm having the same conversations I had five years ago when I started doing technical solutions. We haven't really talked about my background. I'll give it, give that to everybody in a minute. But since I started doing technical solutions in the time series data space, which has been, I guess, five and a half years now, my conversations, the things I'm talking about really haven't changed. They're just easier to have. Those conversations are easier to have because I think there's been more marketing, there's more education, there's more people thinking, yeah, I really need that. You know, and it's, it's funny, we can actually kind of thank, you know, people like IBM, GE and, you know, Accenture, some of these guys that spend a buku amount of money, you know, who, I, I don't know, I'm not going to say it because I, because I know people are going to be listening, but, um, you know, maybe don't deliver quite as much, 
you know, or, or have struggled. I mean, I mean, let's look at GE predicts, right? I mean, they were, they were advertising all the time, right. And they had that kind of geeky guy and, you know, his dad was trying to give him his granddad's old hammer. You're going to work for GE. Here's a hammer. And the guy's like, well, I'm writing code. You know, I think those things actually really helped. Even mm-hmm. though predicts never lived up to what everybody wanted it to be or what they were hyping it to be the reality is that helped the market because it got more people thinking about it. It did. And so my conversations are easier today, Dave. I mean, yeah, I think there's more people wanting to collect this. I think there's, I think there's more people wanting to actually figure out how to use it. We got a question, Jim, on uh, YouTube sure. that relates to that. So okay. the question is, is this data mainly for predictive maintenance or is it to make the process more efficient? I would assume it's a little bit of both, but I'm, I'm yes. curious how you'd elaborate. Yes. I mean, you know, realistically, you're collecting all the sensor information from all your equipment. So <laughs> i got a funny story about predictive maintenance. I'll, I'll tell you in a minute. Um, yes, it can apply to predictive maintenance, of course if you're collecting the data and I'll give you a couple of examples where that's not happening, where somebody says, Oh, we want to do predictive maintenance. Are you sure? Cause you're not acting like it. Um, but you know, it's for process optimization. It's for, you know, tracking your raw material and energy costs. It's for understanding where your bottlenecks are. I mean, it, it's for everything, you know, it's, if you're not collecting and looking at this data, you're flying blind. You were absolutely right. flying blind. You know, you're driving down the road and you have no dashboard. You don't know how fast you're going. I uh, hope I got enough gas. That's what that's what you're doing in manufacturing if you're not collecting and utilizing this data. So funny story on the predictive maintenance, right? So we have a customer that, you know, so, and, and this was like under a previous plant manager, um, you know, he, he said, yeah, we want to do condition-based maintenance or some people at the plant did. Mm-hmm. It, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily him. I said, okay, great. And so we looked at this one compressor and it costs them, you know, six figures to repair the thing. And it can cost them a couple of days of downtime if, you know, if things aren't, if they don't have enough of that product that it makes, you know, hanging around, like it can, it can really cost them. And I said, okay. Um, so I, I did the asset framework model and I kind of looked at all the sensors and I built a little display on, on PyVision. And I said, um, so there's a problem here is the outboard bearing on the motor has said 500 degrees Fahrenheit for the last five years. Exactly. Flat line, 500 degrees. I don't believe that because you would have cooked it, obviously. But what am I supposed to do with that? And, and oh, by the way, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like looking at this data and, I'm, and I'm, I'm looking at the inboard bearing temperature, which does change. I said, I, you know, I can tell that this thing sits outside. It's not, it's not in an, in a, in, um, can, you know, air conditioned room or, you know, climate controlled room. I said, because I, I was looking at the temperature and it was like, you know, like 40 some odd degrees. And, and so I went and looked at the weather app and I'm like, yeah, it's about 45 degrees outside. It's about 45 degrees at that bearing. Okay. This thing sits outside. I said, so you don't have the actual weather data coming in. What you really want to know is how much does that bearing, what's the Delta T across it? Mm -hmm. 
because if that bearing's reading 120 degrees and it's 45 degrees ambient, that's a different answer than it's 120 degrees and it's 90 degrees ambient. So, you know, and then, then I had another one there, you know, they're like, oh, we want to do condition-based maintenance on, on our pumps. The only thing I know about their pumps is that they're running. I don't know inlet and outlet pressure, you know, and suction discharge pressure. I don't know horsepower. Like, okay, well, I really can't tell you much about the pump, except it's running and how, how much it ran, how many times you tried to start it. And actually they had one. Interestingly enough, I did do a calculation because I noticed that they were, they were um, jogging one a bunch. And it turned out they had solids in this line. So they would sit there and jog this pump over and over and over again to, so they wouldn't plug the line. I'm like, I wonder why you've had so many seal failures on this. Like, look how many times you're trying to start it. Look how many times you're trying to, you know, start it and stop it, you know, in a very short interval of time. No wonder you're blowing seals out of it. Like, yeah, we know we're, we're actually, you know, trying to get it, you know, get that fixed. But, you know, just from running, I, I was able to kind of figure that out, you know, and it, it was just right. a kind of very interesting use case, but you can do condition-based maintenance. But what happened, what I find most often is people haven't put the sensors in one, two, they're not maintaining them, you know? So yeah, you can have that, that temperature sensor on that bearing, but nobody's ever tried to fix that. And I, even since I pointed it out, I pointed it out a couple of times, it's still not fixed. I've seen vibration sensors on it. I saw the machine was off and I was still getting vibration, you know, but I mean, I was kind of looking at old data, you know, because like it was, it was flatlined at zero. I'm like, okay, these don't work at all. They're disconnected. So then when I was going back, there were literally times the machine was off, but yet there was still, it looked like it was vibrating. So I'm like, hmm. okay, I don't trust any of that. So, so yes, it can be done, but you have to censor it and you have to maintain the sensors. Yeah, no, I mean, that definitely makes sense. I want to um, expand a little bit on that and on the previous point that, uh, that you had made. So at the, the example that you gave, there was um, a champion, so to speak, that understood, I feel, the value of data mm -hmm. and probably, you know, like convinced maybe the management team at that plant that it's something that they needed implemented. But um, if you go in maybe to a customer that's, let's say, always mentions like we've done it this way, so we're going to keep recording it on paper, we're going to do it the way we've always done it. And That's dangerous words in manufacturing. Of course, of course. I, I certainly believe it, but I guess I would I, I want to understand how do you convey the value to them before maybe you have specific use cases, right? And of course, you could probably walk out to the manufacturing floor and ask questions, but how do you kind of structure that before you have those like very narrow use cases um, like in and you can show them like the dollar value that they could save? So that's an interesting one. So it's actually, that's actually a difficult conversation when people are really comfortable in this is the way we've always done it. Mm -hmm. So I start to ask some really pointed questions. It's kind of like, kind of like this is, you know, someone who's very obese and they say, I really want to lose weight. And so you're like, okay, well, you know, here's a diet plan, you know, and, and not a diet, but here's a plan for good nutrition. Here's how you need to exercise. And, you know, for the next week, they eat double cheeseburgers for lunch, large Cokes, you know, and then, a, um, you know, huge burrito for dinner, you know, with three glasses of sweet tea. 
wash that down with key lime pie. And then they wonder like, why haven't I lost any weight? Do you really want to? I think that's the first thing you have to really fit, kind of figure out is, do they want to change? Are they committed to it? Yeah, this is the way we've always done it, but we've recognized, we've had, we've experienced some pain, either our competitors taking business from us, we've had some significant downtime, or there's some event that has happened where we want to change. If that has not happened, it is a difficult conversation and, and I am learning more and more to walk away when I recognize people don't want to change. But, That's what, interesting. That's but what I, but what I focus on is I, is I try to focus on their pain. Like what, what downtime events have you had? You know, have you had equipment that failed prematurely and you didn't, you didn't really understand why, you know, are you not able to produce, you know, you've got a design rating on all your machinery and processes. Are you able to produce it that consistently? If not, why not? Do you understand why? That's, that's a lot of money. And what's, what was funny is I went to, you know, this, this small manufacturer, I went to one of their facilities out of St. Louis. And this was last year, right, right before the pandemic. It was like, it was like in January. I mean, small place, right? And, you know, the guy and I were talking, we were walking through the plant. And, and I mean, I saw opportunity. I was like, yeah, there's, there's, some, there's some opportunity here. And I said, what, would it, what does it really cost you? It was a seven-figure number even in a small facility like that, most people won't admit it, you know, or, you know, they're, they're the kind that'll, you know, swallow a camel and gag on a gnat, you know, but you, you kind of have to recognize, like, do these folks want to change if they experience significant pain and want to change? If they don't, you might as well just not waste your breath because it's going to be a really difficult conversation. You're going to get nowhere. If they want to change, then they'll start talking. Yeah. Uh, that's really good advice. I guess I think that that dynamic even takes place within an organization, right? You might have a certain group of people or just one person that wants to change or realizes the value of change, but then. And, and it know, doesn't matter who it is. Like, even if like, if you're at the plant level, if it's the plant manager, if you're, you know, at a corporate level, it's the CEO. If, if they're the only one that wants to change and nobody else under them wants to, you're going to have a hard time. If it's only a couple of people out on the floor, you're going to have a hard time, you know? And, you know, we're doing a project. I think I, I showed you some of the stuff we were working on uh, yesterday when we were prepping for this. That goes all the way up to their CEO. They, they, they're like, we are going to go digital. And the, the directors, it's kind of funny because they have like a steering committee that's working with our project manager and everybody's interested in this one, everybody. And, and what's been great is the subject matter experts that they're putting us in front of. We've only been working on that for about five weeks now, four or five weeks. They're bringing us use cases now already. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, we see what we can do now. Wow, this, yeah, let me show you what I'm doing because I think this could be done better. That's when it's magic. You know, when it's one or two people or a small group. Yeah. I mean, don't like discount that because that can catch fire and, and do something like I, you know, I've got um, a friend of mine, Jim Merritt. I, mean, I, I think I can use his name here at uh, Vulcan Materials. Okay. For years, he was the guy. He was director of engineering. He was the guy that believed in using data. 
And he kept just doing little projects as he could. And it was funny. I remember, you know, a friend of mine introduced me to him. Um, one of my former colleagues introduced me to him and, and, uh, Jim literally tells me our first conversation he said, Jim, he goes, I'll take all the free advice you give me. Do not let me take advantage of you. I said, well, Jim, I appreciate that, but you know, I want, I like to help people. Right. So, uh, if I feel like you're taking advantage, I'll, you know, I'll shut up or I'll stop calling you or I won't answer the phone. You know, I'll say, Hey, I can't help. You know, I need a PO for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and interestingly enough, they, they are starting to go through and I, I helped them with a little bit of consulting on it, go through putting in a data infrastructure across all their plants. But it was that one guy who believed in it and he kept working on it and showing people like, here's what we could be doing. Here's what we could be doing. Here's what we could be doing. And he was at, fortunately at a high enough position and who also worked with people down below that he got both sides to believe. Right. Right. So you don't, so you don't discount it. Right. I mean, it took him like, he had been working on this for a couple of years when I talked to him, you know, and then it was another three years. So, I mean, he's, he'd probably been working on it for five years. But he believed for that for their company. He believed and he kept he kept banging away. Right. You know, and so sometimes like us as the vendor, you know, because you're a vendor just like me, sometimes we can't be the one that keeps keeps beating on that rock. You know, we stay in stay in contact, you know, um, try to keep educating, which is what I try to do. But sometimes we have to kind of walk away. We're wasting our time, wasting our breath. There's a, there's somebody else out there who wants your help. So yeah. yeah. I'm curious about the use cases also. Sorry, I guess I'm I'm throwing in a lot of questions. Sorry, man. Dave, come in. Hit me. Hit me. But so obviously I, I'm thinking that you have like two different avenues once you're working with a customer, right? So you can once you integrate your data collection system, you can start looking through it and finding use cases on your own. So something that they might not be aware of, right? It's like what they don't know, what's the, All the time. unknown that they don't know about. And then you've got All use cases that they bring you. What's kind of I guess like how do you figure out which ones to go after and like how do you you know allocate your time maybe between the the two opportunities because there could be big opportunities in things that they don't know right for for sure so my my philosophy unfortunately you know since i've been small and and, you know especially when it was just me (laughs) i didn't care like I, i i invested the time whatever it took and i would go digging around the data just to see what i could find you know, and that's when I was learning like Tableau and Power BI. I would just, I, re- I remember I was, I was working on a, at a paper mill, um, took a bunch of digester cooks. I took 80,000 digester cooks across four years. They were doing about 20,000 a year. I threw them into Tableau. I was, I was literally sitting in this office, like at midnight on a Friday night. And my youngest son comes walking. He's like, dad, what are you doing? So man, I'm learning this cool new software called Tableau. You know, I, I just took all these events, you know, these digester cooks and I was evaluating them and I'm like, oh, did you guys realize, you know, digester one, you used to have 22% of your cooks were eight cooks. Now they're zero. What happened? You know, and on digester, huh? What's the percentage? It was like 22 were A because they grade them A, B, C, D, and then held cook. So, so in other words, they had to hold it because of something going on. Um, and so they overcooked the bulk. Uh, the pulp. Gotcha. Um, so they had 22% the first year. I looked at four years. It was 22% were A, graded A on Digester 1. By year four, it was zero. I said, you know, you keep complaining about pulp quality. I think this might have something to do with it. I couldn't get anybody to look at it, actually. 
I mean, I, I, I found some stuff. I, I remember I found one, you know, I remember even talking to one of their engineers. She, she was like, yeah, like every day we talk about energy costs. And I said, well, I'm pretty sure like I've looked at your average steam usage across all your cooks for the last four years and you're averaging, I don't know, it's like 2000 pounds a cook more. So it's like 4 million pounds of steam <laughs> extra. And oh, by the way, I, I, you know, equated that to weather patterns, you know, and no, it's, it's getting warmer. So all the global warming folks can, can run off a joke if you want, but no, it was actually warmer on average over the three years, but literally they were using more and more steam. Couldn't get anybody to look at it. Couldn't get anybody to look at it, you know? And, and so, you know, I, I like to dig around in the data. Just, I'm, I'm just a curious person and, and I encourage my people to do that. You know, what, how do we get there? And then what do we go look at? Cause that was a kind of the original question. I always tell people, I say, you know, let, let's go after something that has half a million dollars or more in value that I think we can make a den in four to six weeks. Because here's the thing, in, in like four weeks, that's about $30,000 you know, if you spend that with us, about 30 grand. I'm like, even if you spend twice as much and get half the benefit, you spent 60 grand and got $250,000 in benefit. Even if you got a quarter of it. Right. So let's go after something that we really think like we can make a dent in. And, you know, you can talk, you can talk about it. I mean, you know, I, I've got enough experience now that I can kind of say, yeah, that one, that one should be pretty easier. God, that's going to be a nightmare. No, let's stay away from that one. You know, just cause I've, I've done this stuff enough, you know, and we, we play with this stuff enough, but that thing I showed you yesterday, you know, those X, Y plots of the, the pump curves, mm-hmm. you know, that could, that's millions of dollars. You know how long that took to put that together in that state? Probably several months. Day and a half. But all that data was ready? Or is that like including data collection? Well, I mean, the data was already there. I just had to put it in the asset framework model. I had to build five calculations. Um, Actually, we'll we'll give it two days. Uh, We'll give it three, including the AF model. How's that? three days hmm. for everything and to clean it up and make it neat. Literally that the, the engineer gave me that use case. He called me on a Friday at lunch. I was out to lunch with my wife and he said, Hey, how do I do calculations in Pi vision? And I was like, well, what are you trying to do? I mean, it's like pretty simple. So he was telling me and I was like, no, you know, here's what you have to do. And I said, let, I said, let me get back and I'll send you a couple of screenshots. I'll get you started. So I did that, sends me an email back, says, thank you. Probably an hour and a half later, two hours later, maybe not even that, he sends me a message on their team site and says, hey, here's a, here's a mock-up. So I click on the link and it's one of those. So I go kind of look at the calculation. I'm like, hey, hey you got some time to like run this through with me. So we spent two hours on the phone on a Friday afternoon from like four to six, something like that, three to five, four to six, something like that. I, I think I stayed late with him. Um, it rained like Saturday morning. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go work on that for a little while. You know, I can't get out and play golf, can't go fishing, you know, can't do a fishing Friday when it's raining. So, right. So, you know, I'm like, well, I'll just work on this for a little while, you know? So I think I spent like two or three hours and I had a mock-up of that, that we could start to scale out. Then we spent an hour on it on the phone on Monday, 
because some of the calculations were wrong. There was a density calculation that was wrong. Um, and we troubleshot that with some of their people. We got that working. And then I've probably spent three or four hours working on making that prettier, you know, in, into that state mm -hmm. where I'm like, we can take this and actually scale it out to any pump in their fleet. So literally a few days and that's millions of dollars. Just getting the people to look at and understand what they're looking at that, Hey, we're looking for pump wear, you know, we're looking for a throughput issue. You know, we got to keep it in this box, you know, cause like we had a box on the screen, like in mm -hmm. the pump curve going right. through and like, keep it in that box on that curve. Like that's where you want to be somewhere on there. I mean, just, and then educating their people, like, do you realize that you're not there? And that, now there may be extenuating circumstances that don't let them run in that, in that box. You know, that's okay. You know, I mean, well, let's document that, you know, and, and that's something we're actually going to start doing. You know, so let's let the operator kind of feed back to us like, hey, this is what I'm seeing. This is why I can't run, run in the box. You know, and that's, that could be millions of dollars a year for them. You know, yeah, so, so, so it's things like that, that, you know, I, I and it, it was funny because I recognized, I'm like, that won't take very long to do. Because we knew how to do the XY plots. Ben had done it for another customer and he showed me like, hey, here's how you make all that work. So I just went back to that example. We had it on our dev system. So I, I went back to that example and just changed the numbers to fit their curve. And we were there. And um, so, you know, that, those are the kind of things we look for where it's, it, this could literally be a really big thing. And we're, we're kind of like, that's not going to take six months worth of data wrangling and machine learning and all that kind of stuff. We, we stay away from that stuff. It's, it's literally, we look for something that we can do with first principles, like, you know, based on relationships of, you know, what can be done. Now, there's something I, di I didn't show you. Dave knows this story. It's a contamination issue on an incoming stream into a plant. Now I spent, we, we did some machine learning on that one and we spent, God, I, don't, I spent at least two months, maybe two and a half months on that. But that was millions of dollars for them. It was a right. big, big issue for them. And you know what? It's not really a big issue now. They, they what I what I ended up building catches the bulk of the issues they have. They they see it when it comes in, and then they can deal with it much more appropriately. Could it be better? Yeah, probably. And and they'll probably revise it. You know, they I know some of their research and technology engineers asked me like, "Hey, how'd you put this together?" And so I went through a big presentation, showed them. I'm like, "You guys are welcome to take anything I've done and make it better." I just I just knew what you had wasn't going to work. And so I, I tried to make it better, you know? And, and so that one, I was like, okay, this could be a nightmare. Like we, we could spend a lot of time on this. Is this worth it? And it was. So, so sometimes we recognize, oh, that's a simple one and that's going to save them a lot of money. And other times it's like, this is going to be a pain in the butt and it's going to take a lot of time, but it's going to save you a lot of money. Do you want to do it? How do you know that the data is accurate, right? And maybe taking that example that you mentioned about the pumps and let's say you get a call saying like, hey, we've got this specific application. We got the data already coming in and then maybe tying in some of my, again, like personal experience, some third party came in and they're like, I was kind of mentioning at the beginning, sending all this data into a SQL database and that company calls you and asks you, well, what can we do with this? Can you give us some insights? What's your maybe initial step in figuring out whether or not it's good data? So can you see my graph right here? Yep. 
Okay. So this is part of like the data fidelity studies we do. So this was a steam flow coming into a plant um, off their boilers. And what you're looking at is the green line. Let me move my mouse. The green line represents raw data. And in this interval, they've had 586 raw data points. In the Pi data archive, they had stored two of those. Mm. 586 raw coming in, stored two. And I guarantee you the curve, I mean, I, and I looked at it after I saw this, I went back and looked at the data and it, it looked kind of very straight line-ish. So here's a situation where you're storing way too little data, right? And I and always give the example, I know by the way, that 32 and 29, that's thousand pounds an hour. <laughs> so if you did a totalizer on that, on based on that red line, which is the two data points you stored, you stored one about 32 and a half, 32.4 thousand pounds and one about 32,000 pounds. You totalize that over those couple hours or two and a half hours, you get the wrong answer by a lot. Right. So when we're doing pi, we, you know, we, this is compression insight by pattern discovery. We, were, we work with our friend, Paul Sheramato. Dave, uh, Dave knows him quite well. You know, and so we go evaluate this. this is part of the data fidelity study service that we offer. Um, you know, another one, let me, let me see if I can figure this one. Uh, yeah. So this one right here was a, another plant that we did some work at. I did a data fidelity study at, they were storing their data at half a second and this was a flow. And I said, I think you have actually an instrument problem here. Can you see why I said that? Well, I mean, it seems to be bouncing between two extremes. It does, but that's, that's kind of, kind of, you know, the nature of a flow signal. But hmm. do you notice like this little, like there's, there's actually kind of a line right here, just below 6,000 pounds. It's kind of really should be bouncing maybe between like 5,800 and 6,000. You can kind of see it like right here. Yeah. Yeah. Like right here. So let me zoom in. Let me show you the zoomed in trend of that. That's what it was zoomed in. And it was interesting. We had, we had a process engineer for that area on the, on the horn. I said, Brian, I, I said, I think you have an instrument issue. And when we zoomed in, he saw that. And he went back and looked at some trends and he said, you know, this started about two months ago. He said, you're right. We do have an instrument issue because the other one doesn't do this. They had two, two sensors that were looking at this. What was the sensor? Sorry. I, it looks almost like harmonics. It, it does. It's, like a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a steam flow. It, it did, gotcha. it did, it did look very harmonic um, to me. And so that's why, I was, and, and you know, the thing I, the biggest lesson I told them is, Evidently, the integrator that they had put this in thought more data is better. So let's let's store everything in half a second. <sighs> That's not good because you're going to make really long retrieval rates, and they they weren't compressing much of it out. So you're going to have really really long retrieval times. Like oh, you want to pull up a trend of 300 days of data for 15 20 points to see how something correlates over time. Go to lunch and come back and hopefully it'll be done. You know, hopefully it'll be all up on the screen. And, you know, that that's just something, you know, we, we've seen this. And so we, you know, one of the things we try to recommend too is 
and I think I gave you this example yesterday, you know, is if you have a temperature that if you took all the heat source away or you poured the coals to it, it doesn't change more than a degree a minute. Why are you storing it every one second? Because that's the limitation of the software would be my answer. Because, or just... because, yeah, or because some data scientists said, no, give me all the raw data at one second, mm -hmm. you know, because I have to have it. No, you're going to go clean it anyway. Let me give right. you actually real data here. And so what happens is we, you know, I've seen half a second and I've seen one minute data where, you know, realistically five to 10 seconds would have been just fine on either of those sets of signals. We got a question before we okay. straight too far. Um, someone's asking, so what do the spikes correspond with? Does that represent legitimate data? So on this graph specifically. Potentially. Uh, Potentially, okay. because because flows tend to be very very noisy because you have all of the um, you just have all that mixing and stuff going on in the pipe. It's gonna be up and down. It's it's a it's an inherently noisy signal. But I was really because but we had looked at another signal that it didn't stray between forty five hundred and almost eight thousand. It was between like fifty five hundred and sixty five hundred. Right. And I was like, this looks different to me. And if I look, I'm, I'm, I'm like looking, there's like kind of a, a red bar, like kind of between like 5,800 or 5,700 and 6,000 kind of running right through the middle that I think is probably your real signal, which then I was like, yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, this stuff, like this is kind of normal, like attenuation that I would see this, this out here looks a little bit too much, mm -hmm. you know, like in, in here looks about right. You know, when it really spikes a lot, that, that starts to look a little suspect to me. And, you know, again, you know, here's one of those things like you're, you're, you're taking this sample at half a second, you know, how, how much can that flow really change in half a second? It's a very turbulent signal anyway. You know, and, and so you have to really talk to the process engineer and the instrumentation people to say, okay, what can I realistically expect? Right. You know, maybe I do need to collect it every second or two seconds because it, it really is going to move that much. And we really do want a really accurate total. You know, maybe I have a Coriolis meter and it's really, really accurate. That's fine. You know, but just go in educated. And, and so many people don't. They just throw in an interval, they throw in some, some compression exception parameters, and they hope it's going to work. And typically what we see, like, like in the pie world, we see people on the administration side. Back in the day, the administrator had gone to training, they were involved in the initial setup, they probably had some knowledge of the plant itself. The person you have now is four or five people since that person that put it in, they have three jobs to do. And this is one of the least important they do. Oh, somebody needs a new tag. Oh, here's one that looks kind of the same. Can copy, paste, change the name. Here you go. Does it look squiggly enough to you? Okay, good. We're good. That's, I mean, that's how right. it works. You know, there's no thought given to, you know, are we actually going to get legitimate data? And, and that's why we, you know, we're having to go back and do, you know, these data fidelity studies and, you know, kudos to Dave, he made me go do it. He, he was like, 
He's like, Jim, he goes, there, there's some real value in doing this. Like, why don't you build a service around this, build an offering around it? You know, people need this. And, and so, you know, thank you. Thank you to Dave for that. But yeah, like, I mean, it's, sorry, sorry to interrupt. It's a lot more complicated, I think, than some people may believe, uh, right? Like if you get closer to that instrumentation, there's a lot involved in getting the instrument right, getting the connection right, the signals right, and even... It's, it's not complicated. It's just doing the job. And the, and the problem, and, and this is what I was telling you yesterday, everybody's got to run around the fire hose in their hand. Yeah. You know, nobody has time to actually go do something right. It's not complicated at all. It's, it's not, you know, you, you kind of know, you know, if you have a good instrument engineer, you know, instrument tech, they know what a, an instrument can deliver. You have a good process engineer, they know what that instrument can deliver. Yeah, right? I, I just have to be able to communicate that and understand like, this is how this system works. So you have to communicate certain information to me so that I get you real data. Yeah. It's not, it's not complicated at all, but it's knowing that you have to communicate that information to actually get real data is, is kind of where the gap is. But it's not at all com- complicated. That's one of the things we wanted to talk about tonight. It's not really a mystery. You know, it's, it's really yeah. pretty straightforward. When you understand it, you're like, gosh, man, why, why did I ignore this for so many years? Why did I not understand it? I mean, I just draw from my past experience at uh, like the peanut butter facility that I had mentioned to Dave yeah. last week. I remember they had Coriolis meters for all kinds of ingredients, right? And so they would try to, let's say, use it as you would normally use like a water meter, right? But the problem with peanut butter is it's a non-Newtonian fluid. So depending on the temperature of the peanut butter, it's going to react differently. And not only that, then you have problems. So they had pump problems that would introduce air into the system and all kinds of other noise. And you had like no feedback on, you know, the state of the system. And so you would get a lot of like noisy data depending on like which period you were in. And so you'd have to correlate that back uh, and, and understand like the system a lot better, mm-hmm. you, you know, there's like, there's these like strange edge cases I feel where um, I guess the instrumentation folks couldn't really fully answer like how it's going to react or even adjust that based on, on the different temperatures and the, you know, the process variations. So, well, well, the nice thing is, is if you have a, you know, a data historian, you can correlate temperature to flow. Mm-hmm. and say, okay, well, if the temperature's below this, my signals are a mess. If it's yep. above this, where it, I have a decent viscosity, it flows good, then I have well, good data, you know? I and agree. You, you can yeah. make the process changes you need. But if you don't have the data, you don't know. For sure. And, you know, they had some temperature sensors. Some of them were plugged in. Some were not. Some were used to control a PID loop. And it's, exactly. you know, it's one of those things where you do have to maybe bring in a process person that would kind of clarify all these variations. But no, I, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Good deal. So, And, and I, I think we should point out, uh, as Jim's going through and talking about these, is the fact that he is very much a process expert, right? So, well, so I, was he, a control, I was a controls engineer for a number of years. I mean, I, I cut my teeth on Modicon PLCs and Magnatech VFDs and Siemens DC drives. And, you know, I did control brick plants and Eggo waffles and Klondike ice cream bars and aluminum bars and all, all kinds of stuff. You know, I mean, I had to, I had to learn, you know, and then I got into the world of Rockwell and, you know, I, I know their, their stuff really well, you know, so that's kind of my background, 
you know, so, so it makes a lot more sense to me, you know, and all this stuff. And, I, and I've been a data and statistics guy all my life. I never really realized it until I really started thinking about it. Mm-hmm. I've always been a numbers person, you know, I've always tracked numbers and stuff, but, but that's um, right. we never did an introduction. No, so that's okay. It's welcome. okay. It's okay. I mean, we just kind of got into it, you know, but that, but for everybody, you know, that is my background, you know, so a lot of your audience is probably more, you know, people like that. You know, I, that's, that's my background still near and dear to my heart, even though, you know, that, that t-shirt that I wore is kind of like old faded and I've outgrown it now, you know, but I, I still look upon it fondly, you know, I mean, I, I still remember the wars I was in, you know, in plants and trying to figure out how to make crap work. I mean, that's, that's a huge basis for what I do now. I mean, it, it's huge for what I do now. So one thing I, I wanted to kind of switch gears on you guys. So, so it's funny, we, we get a lot of, we, we kind of talked about this yesterday. We talk about AI machine learning. Somebody mentioned it earlier. And, and I, I just, I'm going to go on the record for everybody is there's a lot of companies and, and data scientists out there that will kind of act like it's FM freaking magic. It's mathematics. It's FM is freaking mathematics is all it is. Okay. It's not magic. We just finally, and and most of that mathematics has been around for at least 40 years. We just now have the data and compute power to actually leverage them. We're still trying to figure out what to do with them. Time series data is a little interesting to work on. And, you know, we, I have experienced, and, and, you know, a guy I, I talked with a couple of weeks ago has experienced this, you know, the data scientist comes in, doesn't really understand the process, doesn't, sometimes doesn't even want to know the process and thinks they can tell you everything that's wrong with the process. Oh, just give me all your data. I'm going to throw it in the cloud. And magically, we're going to tell you everything that you've ever done wrong in your manufacturer, why your OE is low, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to write recommendations down the PLC. Of course. Not, it's just not that freaking easy. Okay. And, and we, we, we work on this stuff. We, you know, we, we've done machine learning and multivariate analysis. We, we know, like, I, I know for a fact, and I've talked to a lot of people who work with people like that. I mean, I've talked to people on the ground actually doing this stuff. And one of the things is, is I love to show this slide core and, and Alice Sudek from uh, OSI software. I stole this from, but, and, and there's actually a website for this. There, there's actually, you know, it's like funny correlations or, you know, something like that. It's, it, you can go Google it, but, you know, literally like the, the first one is suicides by hanging strangulation and suffocation versus the number of lawyers in North Carolina. It is nearly a one-to-one correlation. 0.99 is an incredibly high correlation. Okay. Like 0.8 is very strong. This is 0.99. Okay. The next one, marriage rate in Mississippi versus per capita consumption of whole milk. Yeah, those two go together, right? And then I love this one, money spent on pets versus lawyers in California. So the thing, the reason why I point all this out is these tools can be very, very good at pointing out correlations that we cannot see as a human. You know, we, we can't really see the pattern or it's multiple things that are all lining up to correlate to some particular thing in the plant. You cannot ignore the subject matter expertise in your plant and at, you know, in your organization to make sense of this. 
because I, whenever I do one of these, I remember I was doing um, a study on apparent density at a, at a paper mill. I was doing a pro bono because I was learning the Simca tools and everything. And I said, you know, they, they said they were having this problem. I said, well, let me, let me look at it. I mean, I said, if I find something, you know, we'll work out a deal. You can pay me. If I don't find anything, you don't owe me anything. And I told them the very first meeting, I said, no, no, look, I've done some initial analysis now. I, and I showed them this slide and I said, correlation is not always causation, right? I said, you're going to have to tell me what on my stuff is BS and I'll take it out of the model. Mm -hmm. Tell me what I've missed. Tell me what I need to put in there that I didn't. And, and immediately they're like, okay, they're more relaxed. They're like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm more in tune. You know, this guy's not going to just try to tell me something that, you know, is, is stupid, you know, and, and we found things like, Hey, that has nothing to do with our process. And, and, and I think more times than not so far, machine learning multivariate analysis has been somewhat muddy in the results that it delivers there, there, especially in pharmaceutical, there are some definitive use cases where it's very, very clear. And I'm not saying there's no use cases out there, but I'm saying a lot of the ones we've worked on, a lot of the tougher things that we've tried to solve, it's a very muddy problem. And, but these tools are great at kind of eliminating ground. But as we talked about earlier, you have to have good data to get there and, and you have to collect it at the right interval. So it's, it's this marriage between subject matter expertise and the data scientists, you know, and people in kind of in the real world. So anyway, I just wanted to, I, I want to make sure we actually talked about it because I thought that was a pretty interesting thing we talked about yesterday. And somebody mentioned, you know, machine learning and AI earlier, to, earlier tonight. And I wanted to make sure that I kind of set the record straight from my perspective. No, no, I, I appreciate it, Jim. And we, we generally attempt to be respectful of people's time, despite the fact that I think every single show we do slightly goes longer and longer. But uh, as I don't think we've done a good job talking about it, um, if uh, I guess who should reach out to you uh, at Industrial Insight, you know, who are the, the sort of clients that you're looking for? If they're watching, they should reach out. So I'm, I'm not exactly sure how to answer that, but anyone who wants to make a difference in their organization by using their time series data more effectively. You can be an operator on the floor, you know, who, you know, maybe you have a little clout in your organization or you could be a CEO and anywhere in between. But you, you have to want to make a difference. I'd be glad to talk to you. I'm, I'm not looking at certain industries. We, we try to diversify our portfolio. I mean, We've kind of, most of our customer base has been in paper and chemical, but now we're in food and Bev, transportation, oil and gas. Um, we've talked to a number of power companies. I mean, we, we're trying to make sure our, our portfolio is very, very diverse. You know, and frankly, we love the whole manufacturing space. Um, you know, mining is another one that we're, we're kind of getting into. You know, we, we love all of this and, you know, we want to help people. It, it's just that simple. So... If you think we can help you, you think you've got use cases and you don't know how to get there, pick up the phone. Joe, I've got a technical, technical, sorry, uh -oh. Uh -oh. technical question okay. uh, that's related to that. Because uh, we've got a lot of engineers, you know, technicians listening as well. And I think oh, yeah. they are maybe sold on the concept of data. But what if they want to maybe get a, 
hands-on experience or learn more about OSIPI, like how that really like ties in or would tie in into their system? Is there a way to maybe try it at home? Like where would one go to kind of learn a bit more about the like data gathering, let's say process at first? So OSISoft does not do, you know, there's, there's not a great trial program. I'm not saying that mm. they won't, but it's, it's not like they're going to let you go to their website and download it. I think um, a couple of other companies are toying with it, you know, to allow you to do that. Um, and even maybe may have like kind of a virtual environment. A couple of them do actually have some virtual environments. Okay. Um, you know, and it, you could probably like email me offline, you know, like if, if you remember who it is, like, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can find those um, and, and see if that's real. I've been told that I've never gone and actually explored it. Um, probably one of the best ways to look like if you want to look specifically at OSISoft, they have a great YouTube channel. Okay. You know, it explains, you know, how their stuff works, you know, what all you can do with it. You know, it, it, it's great. Um, you know, I, we've learned a lot from it, actually. You know, I mean, if we've, you know, if there's something that we haven't covered in a long time, we go find one of their YouTube videos. Like, okay, I got to remember how this part of the system works. You know, and it'll walk you right through every step, you know, but they, they, they've done a really good job with that of, of educating. Awesome. Appreciate it. Yep. I think we'd be negligent if we didn't mention all of Jim's OSISoftPi videos. Um, he has a whole series of them. Yeah, just, just a couple now. He has a whole series of them um, on asset framework and kind of most everything else Pi. Well, well above, I think, anyone else's head in this conversation uh, does Jimmy go through and kind of explain how all of that works. Yeah, and, and, and really what I what I try to hit is the things that OSISoft is not going to hit. Like, I'm not going to repeat their stuff, right? They you, they have videos that tell you how basically some of their stuff works. I'm trying to teach you, you know, how to think about some things and how to use some things very, very specifically. Um, you know, and I've also got stuff on Power BI out there, um, some stuff on Simca, which is a multivariate tool. Dave, I think, you know, we're still releasing some of those videos out, um, you know, which we think is a great, you know, multivariate tool. Um, so kind of walk, we try to walk you through that. I mean, if you go to the Industrial Insight YouTube channel, like I've really tried to do a good job educating people on what's possible and, and how they need to be thinking about things. Very rarely, except when Dave like yanks my arm and twists it behind my back, which he, he did recently. And we, we shot a, we haven't released it yet, but we shot a video series on some of the services we offer. And, you know, that's the only time I would even like sell to you. I don't really believe in that. The main reason why I started doing the YouTube channels was to educate the market and to try to really gain credibility out there. Right. And show people like, Hey, we're really credible. We don't, we actually know what we're doing. And so I try to shoot things that really show like, here are the things that you could be thinking about here, are the things you need to be doing, you know, and, and, you know, try to be, you know, I, I've got to blur out customer data, obviously, um, you know, but I try to be as specific as I can without giving away like who it is and what the process really is. So, yeah, makes sense. I've posted the link, by the way, in uh, our social media channels, and it will also be post that i guess on the recording underneath so you can always yep. uh yeah and that you know and I've, I've got a pretty extensive blog library on our on our website 
Um, you know, I've written a bunch of things, you know, before I started doing the YouTube stuff, I was, I did a lot of writing. I haven't done a lot of writing recently. I probably need to, to start back. I haven't been as motivated to do that, but there's a lot of things that I, you know, um, we still, you know, if you connect with me on LinkedIn, you know, Dave still goes, goes through there and he finds something that, you know, we haven't posted in a while, you know, for all those people that, you know, haven't been around, you know, we, we find an old one and, you know, throw it up there and say, Hey, you know, in case you missed this a couple of years ago, you know, we talked about this and, you know, I, I just try to make you think, you know, I, you know, and, and a lot of times, you know, that was just a creative outlet for me. You know, I like to write, um, you know, I like to do, you know, creative things from time to time. And so I kind of go through fits and spurts. So I'm not real, real consistent, except when Dave, you know, he's been working with me and, you know, he's, he, he's kind of my marketing guy. Um, he's my marketing department. So he makes me be more consistent, you know? Um, but I mean, that's, that's something I've struggled with, but, but, you know, the, the, the whole idea and intent of all of that was to make people think and to educate people, you know, get them thinking, you know, correctly. And, and hopefully that, you know, you, you kind of hope down the road, somebody says, Hey, this guy seems pretty good. you know, it seems like they know what they're doing. You know, maybe I ought to give them a call and see if they can help us. You know, I mean, we, we never mind that, but, you know, really it was, it was about, you know, trying to help people first, you know, and hopefully people might actually pick up the phone one day. So, but those are a couple of places you can find us. I mean, that's probably where, you know, link, we're really active on LinkedIn, um, you know, YouTube and, and then our website, you know, I'm, I'm, I have been a little remiss at putting some of the content we've been shooting up, up there, but you can go find that, you know, and there's plenty of educational stuff up there. Awesome. Appreciate it. Dave, do you want to wrap us up? I think we're. Yes. No, no. Thank you, Vlad. Thank you, Jim. Uh, once again, and everyone that has listened um, uh, again, thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Jim, for coming on. If you are looking for Jim um, again, Vlad mentioned, you can uh, go find him on the links, but also industrialinsightinc.com. And if you search on YouTube, the industrial insight YouTube channel, as well as connect with Jim um, on LinkedIn. I know that he is, he's, that, that's where he and I met. That's where I think he and Vlad also met. He is around there all the time. And honestly, one of the most knowledgeable people in the, uh, in the data space. He's probably too humble to, uh, to agree with me when I say that, but certainly in my network, he is one of the most uh, knowledgeable people in the data space. And so again, Jim, we, we thank you very much for taking you know, the time out. You know, here, here's the thing on that, Dave, is, is I've worked very hard trying to understand the space. I, I, I work very hard at, and, and all my people do, we work hard at trying to figure this stuff out and try to figure out how to lead people. I mean, I didn't, I feel like there's a gap in the market here and, you know, I've been blessed with a gift, you know, and that is, you know, looking at data and making sense of it. That's a gift that I've been given. I'm trying to make the most of that. And, um, you know, you can call that humility, you know, whatever it is, but, you know, I'm just trying to make the most of a gift and work really hard at it and share my opinions, you know, and even if, even if you disagree, I mean, that's fine. I, I invite people to disagree with me. That's, that's fine. Um, usually I'm right. No, I'm just kidding. Um, actually, I've had a couple of people like, you know, I really thought you were wrong, but you know, you're actually right. You made me think differently, but, but, you know, I've had some people do that to me too. You know, I mean, I was like, crap, you know, I'm, I'm really off base here. And I think that's really what the community and what, what all that's about is, you know, if, if you're putting that work in, you know, share your knowledge and, you know, you're going to, you're going to help people who are looking for that expertise. 
but also you're going to invite people who are going to help you grow and challenge everything you're thinking about. So, I mean, you should share, you know, I mean, that's, that's kind of what we're looking to do. And so, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's just my opinion. It's my, it's my own school of hard knocks and my experiences. And, you know, I don't claim to know necessarily any more than anybody else. It's just, this is my experience. And here's, here's what I think. So. Thanks, Jim. Really appreciate it. Thank yes, you guys. Thank I, pr- you, I appreciate y'all. I appreciate y'all doing this. I mean, it's always fun to come do these kind of things. I, I, I really enjoy doing it. So I never mind talking, you know, that Dave. we never have a short conversation. No, no. I mean, we, yeah, we never do. We had so many other questions and topics planned that I feel that we'll probably have to do a second episode at some point, but yeah. it's uh, like, it's a very interesting conversation. And I think the space is only going to continue to grow, right? There's a lot of innovation sure. happening in the space. And uh, there's different ways. I mean, like we can go on a whole tangent about like the technologies used to gather data, store data, process data, collect data. Like there's so many different solutions that like, that's just like one avenue, but there's a whole aspect, I think on the human side as well, right? Like some of the things that you've mentioned, but also, you know, we talked about turnover of your employees, how people are staying less or longer. So there's many, many topics I think we can uh, dive into uh, at a later time. Yeah, and I'll leave it. This will be kind of my last statement, but you know, you're talking about the technologies and all that. You know, here here's the thing I tell a lot of people, you know, and I told this recently to a customer. We didn't win the project uh, actually, but in the first five minutes, I told them, I said, I know the other two companies you're looking at, and you know, they were looking to either do something with Pi or they were looking to use two different like systems, you know. Um, so we were kind of the only like independent integrator that was looking to use like what they already owned. But I told them in the first five minutes, I said, any of those systems will work. They will. They'll do the job that you're asking them to do. You know, some better than others, you know, I mean, but, you know, I think to, what, what we're offering and, you know, one other one would probably be a much better choice than the third one. Um, but they will all do the work. It's really about the people and it's about change management. It's about, are you going to embrace it and actually do something with it? The technology right. works. Like there's a bunch of technology that works. It's how, it's, are you actually going to go use it? You know, there, there's a bunch of ways to like lose weight, gain muscle. But if you don't actually go do the work, you don't actually eat right. And you don't actually go do the exercise. You're not going to get there. This is the same the same in our world. So I'll leave it at that. No, perfect, Jim. Thank you very much. And so until next week, uh, we'll see you guys soon. Bye-bye. Thanks. Take care, everyone. Bye. And we are off. Cool.